All right. We're starting a new series. We're still in Luke, but we're starting a new series this morning. I'm totally excited about it. I'm sure you saw. Don't you dare. We'll get to that in just a moment. Um, I just want to say out of the get-go how glad we are that you're here today on this rainy day in Southern California, right? Seems like when it rains here in SoCal, we kind of just, you know, hunker down and just kind of hang out, kind of low-key, stay at home. So I'm really glad that you're here. And if you're with us online, so glad. Just praying that God does an incredible move in our hearts today. Do you believe that? As we celebrate um, this weekend, uh, Martin Luther King weekend, we celebrate a man who had a dream. And uh, that dream was an incredible dream in 1963. I'm sure most of us have seen that incredible speech that God, I believe, prompted him to give. One of the things about Martin Luther King that I admire so much and I love is that he took a humble approach to truth. He believed what he believed. He wasn't afraid. Somebody must have dared him to stand up and proclaim what was right. And I'm just so glad uh, back in the day that that he did. Um, Before I got saved, before I became Christian, I I had a dream. And my dream was to play professional tennis. That was my idol. That was my God. That was a passion. And uh, I, I was just kind of a freak about it, to be honest. I had played... 364 days a year. The only day I didn't play, I even played on Thanksgiving. My mom was like, what are you doing? I'm going to practice early in the morning and came back. But Christmas morning, I didn't play. But 364 days a year, I played tennis. My parents got me, you know, the best coach, uh, tennis shoes, tennis rackets, tournaments, just clothes, just everything that was needed. And I, I, I just look back on those days and I, I had a picture in my mind of what I wanted my life to be like. Have you ever done that? And so one of my dreams was to play the U.S. Open tennis tournament. This is one of the biggest tournaments in the world. This is in New York City. There's something different about, you know, Wimbledon, and there's the French Open in France. But the U.S. Open was a little different because you got the New York crowd there. Anybody here from New York? All right, we got, all right, Jerry, you're going to stand up and cheer on this video I'm going to show you in just a second. But there was a guy back in the early 70s and then late 80s and even into the 90s. And and remember this guy? Oh, wow. Okay. I was a little worried that none of us would remember Jimmy Connors. He was a professional tennis player. He's one of the best. He won uh, 109 singles titles, 1991. He won five U.S. Opens. Eight Grand Slams. That's absolutely just unheard of. He had the longest run of number one in the world from 77 to 70. I think it was 79, two years. He, he, no one uh, beat that record. He's an incredible tennis player. But here's what I love about this guy. He absolutely never gave up. He never stopped. He ran for every ball. I had the, the privilege, um, when I was 16 years old, they, they grabbed a bunch of us juniors, and we got to be, you know, the ball kids that catch the balls for the professional tennis players? I got to do that for Jimmy Connors and Yvonne Lendl at the time. And I just remember I was at the net kneeling down. You know, whenever the ball would hit the net, you'd have to go get the ball. And I remember watching Jimmy Connors. He had absolutely the fastest, quickest feet I have ever seen of any athlete in all of my life. Now, this, I'm just going to... Uh, present to you this this video that I found and I remember watching this but as it came up on YouTube I saw it again it absolutely just electrified um, some just passion I had for tennis and this is an overtone for not giving up in prayer 
So here's what I want to show you. Um, in the first round of the U.S. Open in 1991, Jimmy Connors was 39 years old. 39. You're supposed to retire from tennis like in your late or maybe early 30s. He is 39 years old. He's playing the U.S. Open. He plays in the first round Patrick McEnroe, John McEnroe's brother. Lost the first set, came back and won that match in an incredible match. He skated through the second and third rounds, won those matches. Then in the uh, fourth round, he played Aaron Crickstein. He was not supposed to win that match. He is 39 years old. He's playing a 21-year-old. Aaron Crickstein was 21 years old, and they went to five sets. And Jimmy Connors came back and won that match. It was just it's an incredible highlight I, I, I will never forget. Now, this is the match that just went over the top. This is the quarterfinals match. He plays this uh, Dutchman from... from uh, uh, years ago, he had played him once, and now he's playing him again. Jimmy Connors has no chance of winning this match. He lost the first set and came back to the fourth set, and in the fifth set, this is the point I want to show you. I, I believe it's the greatest point ever played in tennis ever. And so um, I just wanted to show you this, and then we'll get into the text this morning about never giving up. I mean, do you feel this? I mean, I'm like, man, that was my dream to have a point. Like, that is the most incredible point ever. And here's what I love about this guy. He absolutely, you saw, he did not give up. Four overheads in a row, that's unheard of even in one point. He ran for every single ball. He's 39 years old. He's not even supposed to be there. And he gives it everything he possibly can. I just, what if we as believers, as Christians, gave our heart to Jesus and we gave him everything and we ran for everything we never ever ever looked back and with the same tenacity and passion whenever the devil has something against us that we are willing to run the longest mile for jesus christ and do whatever he's asking us to do what if life was like that i i i, I venture to guess that our neighborhoods would be different our schools would be different our life would be different our, our city would be different our our state would be different our country would be different if, if we didn't hold anything back and just went for it for Jesus. I think there's times in the Bible where God says, I dare you to do what I've called you to do. I dare you to do it. And sh I'll show you how faithful I am. How wonderful I am. How mighty I am. Over and over and over again in the Bible, God says, I dare you. Trust me. Do this. You will be blessed. But I don't know what it is about, for some of us, at least for me, there's moments that I get caught in the crossways of, of, of not trusting God or holding back or being maybe stricken by fear or worry or that won't really happen or that was back in that day. Does anyone here ever feel like giving up? Has anyone ever felt like giving up? A married couple who's tried and tried and tried to have children and just gave up. A middle-aged person who's unemployed. I just can't go on. 
parents just too tired to parent. Maybe a student who's in deep depression feels like they're the only one and can't get out. What's the use? A man who's thinking of leaving his family. Why? It's just too hard. A couple who has a child and hopes and dreams for that child who's been diagnosed with cancer and a pastor comes to them and said, can I pray for you? And they say, oh, we've already done that. I don't know if this resonates with any of us here today, but there have been moments even in my life where I've saw something from God, I read something from his word, and I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and didn't see anything happen. And there's a moment in the flesh that just feels like, maybe I missed it. There's a woman that we're going to look at here in Luke 18. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. If you don't have it, that's okay. We're going to show it up on the screens. But this woman, I, I just think about the backstory. Whenever we read these real-life accounts through the Gospels, I always wonder, what set this story up that Jesus did what he did? This woman, and just back in the day, a little context here before we read the text. Um, women in that day were seen as less than. They were lower class people. So um, if there was ever a civil dispute, um, a woman would not even be allowed to come into the courtroom for a viable testimony. So she had no rights. She had no influence at all. And there's something that is on her heart that she wants so much for there to be justice. And she asks, and she asks, and she asks in the middle of the night, knocking on the door of the judge in that local village. Now, let's look at what happens. And I just believe, I want you to believe with me this morning that God is going to prompt us to a spirit of, I will not give up God asking you. I will trust you, and I will ask and ask and ask and not give up. Are you with me? One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Now, I just want to stop here for a second and say that I've just reread this text and reread it and reread it and reread it and reread it all week long and trying to just drill down and, and, and dig down into the, what is the meaning, God? What do you really want for your people today? And I always try to start with me when we do these messages. Lord, what do you want me to hear? If you tune me out for the rest of this, you know, 22 minutes, this first verse right here is the entire text in one verse god what what did god speak to me today i gotta pray and not give up i didn't hear anything else he said but i gotta not give up are we together on that okay there was a judge in a certain city and he said who neither feared god nor cared about people a widow of that day that city came to him repeatedly keyword repeatedly saying give me justice in this dispute with my enemy and the judge ignored her for a while. But finally, he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. And then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. 
So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, context here, Jesus is talking about the second coming, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Little villages, they had little towns. Everybody knew everybody. Kind of like living in, uh, oh, my wife was raised in a little town in Nebraska. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody's business. Everybody knows what's going on. So the local judges in that those towns, everybody knew them. In fact, Second Chronicles chapter 19, Jehoshaphat, during that reign, he was the king, and he appointed judges, and he told them, you judge for the Lord. Let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Don't take any bribes. Don't do anything dishonest. Don't do anything that would bring any discredit to our civil system. And so human nature, as we know, is to kind of veer off the path. And unfortunately, these judges in the Old Testament were taking bribes. They were allowing false testimonies. They were just unjust judges. Not all of them, but most of them were. And as I said before, a woman wouldn't even be allowed to give credible testimony. She had no rights. She was at the low end of society. And, and the contrast that Jesus is building here in the story is so crystal clear that, that this judge has no compassion. He's not willing even to do what God told him to do. Yet because she bothers me, because she will not stop. The Greek word there is an irritant. It's like um, a, a small rock in your shoe. Tiny little sand pebble that just is an irritant. You got to take off your shoe, dump it out. But that's, the, that's the visual that I get. Because she wears me out, because she won't give up. Okay, already. All right, you can have what you're asking for. There's three things that I see here really clear. I see her, number one, her demand. I see her dedication. And I see her desperation. Now, now here's the thing that that is, I guess, just, it's where I want to focus in on this morning is, how desperate are you to ask God about what he's put in your heart? Jesus is preparing the disciples and some of the women that were following Jesus and taking care of his needs. He was preparing them that In just a few months, Jesus would die. He would go to the cross. He would literally lay down his life on that wooden cross. And then the third day, he would rise again. But the disciples at that moment, they really had no concept of what Jesus was talking about. But he wanted so much to speak truth into them. Look, guys, I'm not going to be around a whole lot longer. So I want you to, I'm going to give you a gift. You're still going to be able to talk to me. You're going to be able to interact with me. You're going to be able to, just as we are face to face, I know it's not physically the same, but I'm going to be with you in spirit. When I infuse you with the Holy Spirit, you are going to have my power. And one of the tools that I've given you, the privileges that I've given you is prayer. I'm going to give you the ability to talk to the creator of the universe. When I leave this world, And here's what I don't want you to miss. I do not want you to give up asking. Why did Jesus say that? Why is this so important this morning? I believe because we have a timetable of what we want. 
We want to get married again. We want to go back to school. We want to get the degree. We, we, we want the job. We want the promotion. Uh, we want the raise. We want to have children. We, we want all these things, and they're not necessarily bad things, but we have a timetable of what we want and what we want God to do. And God says, my timetable is always right. My timetable is always on time. So that's why there's something that happens when we pray and we absolutely are relentless with God. Now, the, again, the context of all this, I, I realize, is that he's reminding them, look, I'm going to leave, but then I'm going to come back. Did you catch that, that second to the last verse? I'm going to come back at the second coming. Look, I just want to remind us, this is not our home. This is not our eternal security is not in this world. So, so I want to remind it. one day we're going to glory. One day we're going to be with God forever. One day he's going to return, or if the rapture happens, we're going to be with the Lord forever. If you have given your heart to Jesus Christ, if you have received him, you have a free ticket into heaven. It's already done. It's by grace. And because we've been so, so moved by that, so challenged by the fact that God gave me his love, his grace, his mercy for free, I want to serve God. We want to serve him We want to do right. We want to obey God, not because we have to, not because we ought to, not because it's the right thing to do, but we want to because we love him. A church that loves God will love people. Great churches all over our nation, but it worries me a little bit that we are so business-like, we do things so on time, we do things the way we think they should be done, we miss the power of the Spirit and how God is moving. And my fear is that I don't ever want to be in a place where I miss where God is moving because I don't connect from what I know to my heart. And God is speaking not just to the mind here. He's speaking to the heart that I do not want you to give up when you feel like giving up. I guess, I guess you know, the reality is we're all, we're all about the same. We're all in the same boat here, right? We've all had moments where what's the use? I can't keep asking. It's too much. The reality is Jesus is coming back again. And he wants us to prepare for that grand entrance. Yes, the rapture is going to happen. I believe that. Yes, the Antichrist will come on the scene. There will be three and a half years of what it will see almost like heaven on earth. The Antichrist will be able to appear to solve all the world's and global problems, which we got a lot of global problems right now, don't we? I mean, you can see how this is all being set up the way God prophesied it would. Then there will be three and a half years of absolute hell on earth. It will be as people wish they could have died. It will be so bad. At those moments, if someone becomes Christian during that tribulation time, they will absolutely have to most likely die for their faith. They will have to make a decision whether whether they believe in Jesus Christ, whether they follow the Lord or they do not. And it will be so difficult to be a person of faith that the Antichrist is so against God, 180 degree turnaround, That he absolutely wants to prepare us for the desperation of asking and asking and asking what? Lord, come back. Lord, return. Lord Jesus, come back to us. That is my first prayer. Lord Jesus, return. Come back. Because I long to see you. I long for us as a family to see Jesus Christ, to be in heaven with him. That's the first order of business. Lord Jesus, come. And there are certain precursors that God laid out in Scripture, in the book of Matthew, in the book of John, that certain things that would happen before he returns. But while you are waiting, I don't want you to lose heart. The contrast of this text to the reality of who God is, is a stark contrast. Because God is not unjust. 
He is a just God. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 8 tells that God is a fair God. It says he is a just God. I know that sometimes brings about some question and some tension and some wrestling because God, it doesn't seem like you've been fair with some of the things that you've allowed in my life, but we have to trust God. That is one of the most difficult things about continuing to follow Jesus is we must trust him and believe that what he said in his word, he will never go back on his word. The early believers in 2 Thessalonians were running frantic because Nero was wanting to persecute every single church, every single Christian. He wanted to do away with all people of faith. He wanted to establish his own kingdom. He was about world domination. And anything he possibly could do to stop these Christians, he would do. That's what the, the guy who started all this uh, throwing the Christians into the lion's den. He was the one that started throwing Christians into the Colosseums and letting loose all of these lions. And they would literally watch as a sport. That's how much he hated Christians. He would tie them to telephone poles, pour tar over them, and light up his city at night. That's the absolute 180 degree turnaround that Jesus wants us to see is even though those things are going on, I want you to trust me. And just as this unjust judge who neither feared God or feared man had no heart for people, he finally said, yes, think of what your heavenly father will do for you. Think about that. If someone who is unjust will say, fine, I'm sick of this already. You can have what you want. Think about our father who's compassionate who's loving, who understands that he wants to hear from our heart. He's a God who interacts with us relationally. That's what makes Christianity so awesome. It's a relational relationship. It's not religion. It's not rules. It's not have to. We get to. It's a privilege. What are you asking God for? Are you asking him for healing? Are you asking him for change? Are you, are you asking him for something Something to happen in your life that you know absolutely this is God. In the Old Testament, Abraham was a wonderful example of pleading with God. Do you remember? As he was going to destroy the city. But there's 50 righteous people. And he kept bargaining back with God. I, I love this tenacity that Abraham has. He will not let go. And God says, okay, fine, I will spare because of one righteous person. We had some folks here, part of our church, MVCC family. I love these stories. Um, these folks came, to, visited our church. This is about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. And um, they gave me permission to share their story. Their names are Ashok and Anka. They're from uh, India, and they moved to the United States. And found each other in the business world, got married, came to Missionville Christian Church. We did their wedding. It was such an incredible time of just change in their life. And as they were married a few years, of course, their desire, their dream was to have children. And they had some uh, directions from the doctors that said, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to have kids. And so they're just new in their faith. Now, here's one of the things about people who are new in their faith. They don't know they're not supposed to keep asking. They just keep asking because they don't know. They just, all they know is Jesus changed our lives. They're only maybe two or three years old as Christians, and they just keep praying. And Pastor Mike, will you pray for us? And of course, we prayed, and our prayer team, Eddie Morris, Pastor Eddie, and the prayer team prayed for them and prayed for them and prayed for them. We didn't stop. We kept asking and asking, and they kept asking. And then they called people across the country. Would you please pray for us who they knew were Christian people? And they kept asking and asking and asking. I want to show you the answer to their prayer right up here. Isn't this a wonderful, she is so cute. Her name is Aria. She's part of our MVCC family. They're part of Michigan. Now, here's the wonderful thing about this. They had a child 
They prayed and prayed and asked the Lord. And we've seen in the Bible where God did the very same thing. So God is faithful. He can. He doesn't always, but he can. And I'm banking on if he can, I'm going to keep asking. Now, here's the wonderful thing about this story is they didn't just say, oh, God, we're so grateful. We have Aria. She's so cute. We love her. It's just all about us. They're giving back. They're on team. They're serving at Missionvale Christian Church. They're just here Sunday preparing. They're here early walking with Ari up. I saw them in the parking lot. They are serving on team. Why? Because they're so absolutely grateful that God answers prayer. And they never stopped. Can I tell you one more? Okay. I'll just tell, talk to the first row here. I know you guys are with me. There's another family here that's been here for years. Great people. In fact, uh, John and Gwen are here uh, as our church family. And so um, John's one of our shepherd elders here at the church. And just, uh, I appreciate so much about, they're just consistent. They just love God. They just, God's priorities. And they certainly have been without trouble. About 10 years ago, their daughter got word that she had, uh, there was a lump over here in her shoulder. They thought, well, nothing, nothing really of it. And she went and got it checked out and found out she had cancer. That's a tumor right here. Here's the first thing that they did. Gwen got on the phone. She got on her email. She called the church. She met with us. We were in the same life group together and just asked, could you please just pray? We're praying for Lexi. We want healing. We're asking God to do the amazing. Could you pray? And they kept praying and praying and asking and asking. As I mentioned, they spread the word out, as many people as possible praying. Even if you don't have the tenacity to pray, as sometimes I have felt that way, I can call people to pray on my behalf. You with me? And that's exactly what they did. Not only did we do that, but they asked if they could have this 10K uh, walk for Alexi's healing. And there was like, I don't know, it's been like 100 people that met in our parking lot. This was about 10 years ago. And we did this walk just asking God, would you please heal Lexi? God gave the answer, and she was completely healed. Now, here's the cool thing about this, is that the doctors had told her, you probably won't be able to have children because all the chemo and just all the things that happen, you know, when we go through cancer. She didn't stop. Then Lexi asked and asked and asked, and John and Gwen kept asking and asking and asking. Three Sundays ago, Lexi and her husband, new husband, were here and told me, they showed this little picture that she's pregnant. Isn't that great? Now, here's, here's, here's how the stories lay out. I understand that not every story works that way. I understand that that's not always reality. But I do know this. God is faithful even if he says, wait, even if he says, no. That's not going to stop me from asking. I am going to pester God. I am going to be relentless. I'm going to be like Jimmy Connors on the tennis court. I am going to run for every ball. I'm going to keep praying. I'm not giving up because I still believe that God is in heaven. And I still believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. I still believe in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I believe the word of God. I believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. I believe that Jesus physically died on a cross and he rose again on the third day, busted out of that tomb, and the rest is history. I believe all of that. I don't always believe that everything's going to work out for my best interest. Not always what I want, but I believe that he knows what's best and I will trust him and I will never stop asking. Never stop asking because he is faithful. 
I'd, I'd rather be tenacious and ask God and ask him and ask him and ask him rather than sit back and just be a whole Christian and just, well, it's not really going to work out for me. I guess that's not the way God wanted it for me. Ask. The Apostle Paul asked three times. Do you remember there was a thorn in his side? We don't know what that thorn was. I particularly believe it was the guilt of how he literally killed Christians, put them in prison before he became a Christian. And, and, and you remember that moment on the road to Damascus when God shone the light out and Jesus Christ appeared to him and spoke to him, Saul, Saul, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting my people? You're hurting me. And for three days he was blind. He gave his life to Jesus Christ. Incredible 180 degree turnaround in the Apostle Paul's life. And I think the thorn is just my own personal opinion. I, I could be wrong, but I think it was the guilt of hearing the cries of yanking families out of their home because they were believers in Jesus Christ, putting them in prison, and even approving of their death. One called Stephen in the book of Acts and didn't have the guts to say, This is wrong. The guilt and the shame, and he carried with that. That's one of the things about forgiveness that is so complex to me. I know that I've been forgiven. I know that Jesus forgave me by the power of his blood. Do we believe that? And I have the ability now, we have the ability to forgive others, even when I don't want to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive you because God told me to do that. It does something to my heart, but I never forget. I still remember some of the stuff. I remember some of the trauma. I remember some of the bad choices I made. Could it be that God allows me to remember so that I might be able to climb into somebody else's scenario and identify and help with them? Look, I know God is faithful. I know he can take away all the guilt, all the shame, all the worry, all the stress, all the panic attacks, all the things that we go to pills and bottles and we do whatever we can do to get rid of that stuff. And Jesus says, let me be your peace. I want to ask you to join with me in something that I feel so passionate about. I feel so convicted about. I feel it's, it's difficult even to put into words other than I just believe so much in God wanting to do a revival in this area. And any revival that God did, a revival is something that was once dead, now becomes alive. Once that was comatose is now risen. Once that was once riding on the fence is now alive. Once that was once cold and lifeless is now alive again and on fire. Jesus says, I wish that you'd either be hot or cold, but if you are lukewarm, it's the American church. It breaks my heart that we have become so lukewarm that we just ho-hum about God. This is the God of the universe. This is the God who loved us, who gave everything to us. How can we possibly say no? How can we possibly not give everything to run for every ball, to ask every prayer, to keep asking for God? God, I believe you're in this and I trust you. And even if you don't bring it to pass, I will ask. If I don't ever see revival here in Mission Viejo, if I don't ever see a revival happen in Orange County, I am still going to ask on this side of heaven because I believe that God is faithful and I believe that God wants it more than we do. Years ago, years ago, back in the 1800s, you might remember a guy reading about this guy named George Mueller. George Mueller was a 19th century Christian evangelist. He was administrator, listen to this, of Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England. He provided home for more than 10,000 orphans. 10,000 orphans over his lifetime. 
He had five friends that he wanted to come to Jesus Christ. So he began to pray in 1844. A year and a half later, one person of those five gave their life to Jesus Christ. He kept praying and praying and praying. Five years later, two of them came. Six years later, the third one. 44 years later, 44 years after he had died at 92 years of age, the rest of those five gave their lives to Jesus Christ. He never saw the last two. He never stopped praying. That's where I want to be. That's what I want. You ever feel like your life is just humming along? You ever feel like you're just taking up space? Where's the purpose? Where's the passion? Why am I here? It's got to be more than just living in the OC and having a nice house and cars and a nice job and nice friends and all those things. That's wonderful. But there's got to be something more than that. Do you ever feel like in your Christian faith, you're just kind of cold? It's just, where's the fire? Where's the passion? I feel like I'm taking up space. I, when I read the Bible, I can't seem to understand it. When I read it, I get tired and fall asleep. I can't even keep track of my prayers. I just feel like when I go to witness to somebody about Jesus Christ, I can't get the words out because I'm afraid that they're going to reject me you ever feel any of that you are the perfect candidate for a revival you are the perfect candidate for someone to come and electrify their life on the inside and bring about a holy spirit movement that's revival and that's one of the things i want to ask us to pray pray and pray and never give up asking for god to do something in your heart in your marriage in your single life in your children in your household in your school in your job wherever you might be your neighborhood god set my neighborhood on fire for jesus christ and god let it start with me and that, mean, that means that we must be willing. Here's the action points here. Number one is this. I gotta be willing to know ordinary people. Now watch this. Even the most vulnerable ones. Who's the woman? She was the most vulnerable. She didn't mean anything in society. She didn't amount to anything by anybody else's standards, but God saw her, right? Can make a difference in the world by not giving up. Don't give up. That's the, if that's one thing I want you to get, don't give up. I dare you to not give up. I dare you to just say, God, I am not relenting. I will not stop. I will keep praying. I will ask and ask and ask God until you return or until you say no. And number two is this. I really want you to do this. Commit to a lifestyle of prayer. Now, what we mean by that is, I know maybe in your mind, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I got to get a journal. I got to wake up an hour early. I got to pray for an hour. If I don't pray for an hour, I'm not a good Christian. In fact, if I don't pray for an hour, I might not be saved. Not true. Prayer is an ongoing conversation with God all the time. I, I just, 48 minutes ago, whatever it was, I just saw someone in the hallway and there was something going on and I said, I'll be praying for your friend. And as I went into the restroom, I said, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you come and meet that need. God, heal that person. Do what you've said you can do, Lord. I believe that you can. It's just all the time. I think that's why Paul said pray without ceasing. Don't stop. You can pray all the time. You can pray when you're in the locker room. Pray when you're in your car. Pray when you're on the field. Pray when you're with your kids. Pray when you're with your spouse. You can pray everywhere. Lord Jesus, just come. I pray that you come. But there's also that very specific time that consistent, consistently be in prayer with God. Now for me, I'm a little ADD. So I got to have what I call, this is just my, my prayer journal. And it's convenient for me because it's a little Batman insignia because I love Batman. But 
here's just pages and pages, and I don't write out all my prayers. It just helps me to stay focused. Here's what I read today. Here's a prayer that I have, and just uh, not, not word for word, but just prayers that are on my heart. Then people that I'm praying for. This is what I see in scripture. And then look, I have you in here, MVCC. And all of our pastors, we pray for you. We have a Tuesday morning prayer meeting. Prayer is a power source for church. Prayer is a power source for life. I cannot continue to follow Jesus and have power unless I'm committing to a consistent, a consistent prayer life with God. And sometimes that just means discipline. I will, I will confess to you there are some mornings that I get up and I don't want to do this because I got to get to work. I got things to do. We have, God, we have important things to do for your church. I don't have time for this. And I'm sure you're just like me in some of those areas, right? It requires discipline. I'm sure Jimmy Connors didn't just walk on that court in 1991 when he was 39 years old and just say, hey, I think I'll play a match today. There was practice. There was surgery on his wrist. There were hard moments of rehab and all those things. He had to work. He had to discipline himself. And why do, we th- why do I think as a Christian that I don't have to discipline myself in some areas? I know this one's hard because it feels like we're speaking to the ceiling. It feels like we're talking to God and he's not listening. I get it. But the Bible says he does listen. He's listening to every prayer. He listens to every cry of your heart. So I want to I I challenge you, I want to encourage you, I want to ask you, if you don't have something in place, there's no absolutely one way to do this, although there's three things that I think are essential for doing something like this. A quiet time, a quiet place, and a quiet heart. If it's five minutes, it's five minutes. I'd rather you do five minutes every day for the rest of the year than do 45 minutes for a week and go, oh, this is just too hard, I can't do it. Are we together on this? What's going to happen in your life? You ask the Lord of things that are in your heart, things that God has been putting in you. When you ask the Lord about these things, there's going to be a change in you. You're going to change. I'm going to change. Our church will continue to change. I, I, I would say I'm happy about this. We are on the right track. It's not like our church is going down the tubes. It's not like, well, we may not make it. Give your $1,000. That's, that's not me. That's not us. God is faithful. If we keep doing what God asked us to do, he'll provide, he'll take care of what we need. This is part of being faithful. And here's what I want. I don't want to just be a nice church on the corner in Mission Viejo behind the Royals Donuts. I, I, that's not, I, 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 there's something in me that's bigger than that. And it's not just buildings, although I would love for us to, one, Pastor Brian and I, we talked about this a lot in meetings. I'd love to knock down building two and three. Those 40, 45-year-old buildings, termites are holding those things up. <laughs> but it would be lame for me to do that and move in that direction when we're going to have to millions and millions of dollars. I don't feel like that's God's timing. But here's, I'm more excited about you. I'm more excited about what's happening here. God will take care of the buildings. He'll take care of that stuff. I want you to commit to prayer consistent quiet time quiet heart quiet place if it's in a closet if it's up in the mountains if it's behind your bed if it's in a quiet place where the shut off the cell phones turn off the ipads just give god some time and it's not rocket scientists can i say this all religions pray man-made religions pray christians should be the one we're praying the most because we pray to the real god i don't mean that arrogantly i mean that humbly but we know the real god how much more should we be praying All right, here's a really cool thing. Communicate your story about prayer. There's nothing more exciting. There's nothing more contagious. There's nothing more that electrifies my heart than I want to hear your stories. Pastor Mike, guess what? God answered this prayer. Or Pastor Mike, guess what? I've had some people even come to me and say, 
I've been asking and asking and God and he hasn't answered yet, but I'm still asking. That's as exciting to me because that tells me that we're growing. When John and Gwen got their healing with their daughter and then now they're having another grandchild, they weren't like, oh, well, this is kind of cool. They were blasting it all over Facebook. They told our life group, Instagram, they're telling everybody because they're excited. Look what God is doing. At MVCC, look what God is doing. Prayer nights, personal prayer time. We believe in a God who answers prayer. Never stop asking. The last thing is when you tell your story, oh yeah, God just kind of answers some prayers. Tell it like you mean it. When, when some folks were going to Hawaii and uh, they said, oh yeah, we're going over to the uh, Kailua side. I said, oh man, you got to go to this place. It's the most fantastic steak you will ever eat. It's called Buzz's Steakhouse. It's on the other side of Kailua. You, it's right on the water. It's beautiful. Plus, it's really good steak. It's romantic. Take your wife, take your husband, whatever. It's the most incredible place. Now, I'm not saying, yeah, it's probably a nice place. I'm telling it because I was there. And I want them to have the same experience. When you're talking about God answering prayer, get excited about it. Right? Pray and not give up. Here's my challenge, MVCC. I dare you. I dare you to do this. God, I thank you that the gospel is so real. I know for a lot of folks here in this room, Lord, we've given our our hearts to Jesus Christ. We've given our hearts to you, Lord. And I pray that you revive something in us. Put a fire inside our soul, God, where there's no denying that, God, you are faithful and you, you are just. You are compassionate. You do hear our prayer. You do care about us. Unlike the unjust judge that we just read about, thank you for these incredible stories that give us a visual. Now, I'm fired up, God. I'm fired up to ask even more and to keep asking. And my prayer today is that my brothers and sisters ask and ask and ask and ask and not give up. God, for anyone here that maybe isn't sure about eternity, Maybe not quite sure about tomorrow. Maybe, you know what? Mike, I don't know if I was to leave this earth today. I, I hope I'll be in heaven. I, I want to be in heaven. But Jesus, I know that you made it so crystal clear. If we repent of our sins, put our faith and trust in you and receive you, it's all taken care of. And we thank you for that. Anyone here today just want to give their life to Jesus Christ? I'm going to lead us in a prayer and you can just pray along with me. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Lord, I confess I've done some things that are wrong in my life. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry for the things I've done, God. I receive you now. I believe that you died and you rose again. And I want to live for you all the days of my life. Send the Holy Spirit on my life powerfully, God. Teach me to walk in your ways. And this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things about, we just have a last few minutes here together, is that during this quiet time, quiet place, we get to remember what Jesus did for us. And, and we don't just, he doesn't say just remember me. But when he said, come to me all that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. So we're just taking these last few minutes here and there's a seat back in front of you with some emblems. It's just a representative of Jesus' blood and Jesus' body when he died, man. He died for you personally. 
And by taking this, you're saying, Lord, I'm, I'm remembering what you did. I'm joining with you once again. God, where's my life? Where do I need to be? And pray about that. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.